Amen. You guys can be seated. Grand worship team, thank you for leading us in, in song and praise. Good morning to everyone. It seems like we're a little awake, but not like all the way awake. Is that fair? A little bit. Yeah, some of you are like, no, I'm awake, but most of you are like, eh, that's fine. It's okay. It is summer. The temperature is increasing, and the AC bills will start going up shortly. We can all be sure of that. Children, we can head to the back. Gina's back there waiting for you. So you guys can head back there to learn from God's Word today. Have some fun. Now, for our purposes, as Eric stated last week, we're in a series exploring biblical manhood and womanhood from Old Testament perspectives. You see it there on the screen called By Design. This issue, biblical manhood and womanhood, it's of great importance today. Many young people, professing believers included, are asking what it means to be male or be female. Some are even asking the question of what it means to be on a spectrum. Now, while the world may be confused, we who are born of God, we ought to be clear. Clear from Scripture what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Now, godly characteristics will surely be similar across both genders, but there are distinctions between the two. As Genesis 2.27 clearly states, God created male and female humans. There's no third option for a human gender in the creation narrative. So we need to study the whole entirety of Scripture to understand what God intends for male and female humans. God's Word is not silent on serious issues that we face today. In fact, I think the great difficulty regarding this subject of biblical manhood and womanhood is the fact that Scripture is abundantly clear on the subject. We struggle with the high standard that God has set forth. Now today we're going to look at Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. Yes, that's the Proverbs 31 woman, or the P31 woman, as many of you have come to know her. It's the enormously godly example of an ideal wife presented in just 22 verses. But there's a few things that we need to note on the front end here. First, I want to be clear, the aim of today is not to guilt women. It was Charles Spurgeon who once said, you can cast a person down with the very truth that was intended to build them up. So I endeavor to avoid such an error this morning, While the godly example seen in Proverbs 31 is seemingly perfect, such an example is not to guilt or to shame a female believer. It's to help set a high bar for striving in faithfulness. So I would ask this, sisters in the room, fellow believers who are females, as you prepare your hearts and minds now, bear in mind, God has given you His Spirit, and He has called you to sanctification. It's a process that you're called to not perfection that you have to be at right now. God has loved every single female child of his with such clarity that he has provided clear teaching in his word. This text particularly, among others throughout his word, about what he desires for his female children to aspire to, to pursue, what their character ought to be like on this earth. Second, today's study is not just for the women who are present here today. While some women, young and seasoned, will probably find clear personal application almost immediately, the characteristics for godliness here in this text extend beyond womanhood and into personhood. It's true that there are certain things only a woman can or ought to do, such as bear children or marry a man. And this text does focus on the character of a godly woman in those respects, but this text also points to qualities which can and really which ought to be pursued by both male and female alike, married and single, such as working hard, being wise, caring for others. 
The character qualities of a P31 woman can easily be applied for a man or an unmarried woman or really any believer. Godliness is the universal call for God's people. Finally, I want to acknowledge that hearing of the qualities of a seemingly perfect woman may bring to mind inadequacy for some. Whether a woman who sees herself as not measuring up or a man who thinks of their spouse or a man or a woman thinking of their mother or sister not living up to the P31 call, they may be discouraged. Anytime great character qualities are explained and seem evident in a single individual, we may become prone to compare ourselves and to compare others and subsequently be discouraged by a great gap in qualities. So let us be clear about this. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God's standard, and His is the only standard that matters. The following two verses in that same passage, Romans 3.24 and 25, tell of the redemption that is found in Christ, who has paid for all our sins, all our inadequacies, all our falling short. It's the righteousness of Jesus which can justify and cover a sinner. So instead of being discouraged... If that comes to your mind this morning, bear in mind as repentant believers, Jesus paid for our sins. We now have the great privilege of pursuing holiness and pursuing godliness as redeemed children of God. There's no need to be discouraged by an account of great godliness in the scriptures. There's only reason to praise God for providing such a wonderful example in his word. Now, with all that being said, we need some background on this passage We should understand a few things about Proverbs. It's unique in biblical literature, and we should know something about the author. Now, Proverbs is called wisdom literature. It's one of the wisdom books. Probably uh, most notable is the different tone of wisdom literature. It is different when you pick it up and you read it. Whereas in the Old Testament, books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they're clear with thou must and thou shalt. Wisdom literature challenges the reader to think hard and to think humbly to use common sense and to wrestle with difficult questions. You may see it as the law and the prophets encourage these imperatives, believe and obey. Wisdom books encourage think. That's the imperative. Generally, wisdom literature is not entertained in a hypothetical or idealized world. You don't need to think, you know, wouldn't it be great if? No, instead, in wisdom books, the overall sentiment is very down to earth. It's common sense related to the real working world. What's brought to bear in wisdom books is generally possible, if not probable. Thus, we could say that the Proverbs are not necessarily representing universal truths. Those are things that are always true. But they're representing norms of life. Things that are normally or generally true. You can see on your screen there, just to help you comprehend Proverbs and wisdom literature. Remember, God is ordered. God is not chaotic. And God is not random. So the world that he created is rational, and it makes sense. Nonetheless, norms do not equal promises. Take Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. You don't need to look it up, but you can if you want to. It speaks of honoring the Lord with finances so that you will have a great harvest. I can tell you of many faithful believers around the world who do not experience such a blessing as a promise. They instead may relate more to Job and his suffering, even though they continue to give financially to the Lord. And that's because these verses are not promises, but general norms related to life. That being said, Proverbs is probably the easiest of the wisdom books to understand. So out of Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, because it is so focused on helping the reader think about common everyday life. The verses found in Scripture's wisdom books, they're very applicable to Christians today. So if you want an Old Testament reading that, hey, how can that apply to me today? Pick up Proverbs. Very applicable for today. 
as long as you remember to think well about the difference between universal truths and norms. Now, we have an understanding of, of the genre. How about the author? Now, if I were to ask you who wrote Proverbs, many, if not most of you, would say Solomon. But a careful reading of the whole entire text reveals that he is attributed to writing some of the Proverbs, compiling other parts of Proverbs, such as the sayings of the wise, chapters 20 through 24. You can find out more in a good Bible study, but really we're focused on the author of chapter 31. Now, many of you know of Solomon, the character of Solomon, and if I were to ask what first comes to mind about him, you'd probably say, his many sins with many women. What a legacy to be remembered by. We need to be quick to remember, though, that he was also granted great wisdom from the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 4 tells us that. Also, that he was very wealthy and granted that wealth from the Lord in large part. He also had the, t- the privilege of constructing the temple, which was taken away from his father, David, due to his sin. His sin with Bathsheba against Uriah. He sat at the feet of his father and mother, according to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. He sat at the feet of both his parents to learn, and then he surely learned of their transgression. He surely remembered it. Now, because of that verse in Proverbs 1.8 and what we will cover in chapters 31 of Proverbs, it's reasonable to state both David and Bathsheba learned from their sin through repentance and faith. We often focus on just David and his repentance through the Psalms, but if you read Proverbs 1.8, Solomon sat at the feet of his parents and learned wisdom Well, his parents are David and Bathsheba. Yet somehow, the wisest man to have ever lived, who sat at the feet of his parents, who were uh, unfaithful before the Lord and before uh, their own spouses, the wisest man to ever have lived pursued the same sin that his parents committed, but with greater impunity and for many years. Yet he was the wisest man. That doesn't seem so wise, does it? Now, due to this shame, the shame of pursuing sin for so long, I think this is why Proverbs 31 and the book of Ecclesiastes are not attributed to Solomon. Deuteronomy 17, if you you want to read that later, you can make a little note. Deuteronomy 17, specifically verses 16 through 20, speaks of how the king of Israel must not do three things. Not get too many horses, not be too rich, and not pursue wives so that his heart won't go astray. In 1 Kings chapter 4, we learn that Solomon had 40,000 horses. Well, there's one. In 1 Kings chapter 10, he made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. I think he beat the rich one. And the last one here, 1 Kings chapter 11, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And scripture says they turned his heart away from the Lord. So the three things that a king of Israel was not supposed to do, according to Deuteronomy 17... Solomon did all three, and not in a small way, in a really big way. So Solomon may indeed have been shamed from this direct opposition to the Lord's will regarding kings and chose to write with a pseudonym for Proverbs 31, perhaps, and then anonymously for Ecclesiastes later in his life. Now, I know all of you are here thinking, okay, we're talking about the Proverbs 31 woman. Why all this backstory? This is all very important. Because before we dive in, we need to recognize that the author of this text that we're in, Proverbs 31, was a man who knew more deeply about the things of life, the things really of this world, than any human being who had come before him. That's really the point of wisdom. It's true knowledge, true discernment. He was incredibly wise, but note this, 
The man who wrote about the excellent and noble wife was himself a horrible judge of female character, was he not? But he also learned and then remembered through repentance what qualities are most excellent and praiseworthy in a God-fearing woman. With that, you can turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 31. As you're turning there, let me give you some background here. The opening verse, really of verse 1, tells us of the authorship, Lemuel. A faithful study of the roots of this combined word in the Hebrew could give this indication. He's either the king who belongs to God, or the king who turns to God, or you could even say the king who returned to God. That's what the name indicates. Uh, that last one there, the king who returned to God, would give a strong indication as Solomon being the author. Then we read that the author's mother taught him the following statements. Now, again, when you look at verse 3, it says she told him, don't spend your energy on women. That gives reason to believe, yet again, this was indeed Solomon, and also Solomon who failed his mother's teaching, but later remembered her words of warning. Now, more could be said of verses 4 through 9 for another time, But for our purposes today, we're going to begin with verse 10, with the presupposition that Lemuel, the king who returned to God, or Solomon, was taught by his mother, Bathsheba, about an ideal, flesh and blood, real-life wife. As we begin to study these characteristics, bear in mind, just as the rest of Proverbs speaks to a son, yet can be applied to men and women alike, so too can all, male and female, married and unmarried, learn from the example of this capable wife here in Proverbs 31. So you can follow along your text. I'm going to read all 22 verses here from verse 10 to 31. This is out of the CSB. So if it's distracting, you can just listen. Some of you haven't adjusted to the, the newly inspired version yet. Verse 10. Who can find a wife of noble character? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will not lack anything good. She rewards him with good, not evil, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from far away. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and portions for her female servants. She evaluates a field and buys it. She plants a vineyard with her earnings. She draws on her strength and reveals that her arms are strong. She sees that her profits are good and her lamp never goes out at night. She extends her hands to the spinning staff and her hands hold the spindle. Her hands reach out to the poor and she extends her hands to the needy. She is not afraid for her household when it snows, for all in her household are doubly clothed. She makes her own bed coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the city gates where he sits among the elders of the land. She makes and sells linen garments. She delivers belts to the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she can laugh at the time to come. Her mouth speaks wisdom, and loving instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the activities of her household and is never idle. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Many women have done noble deeds, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Give her the reward of her labor and let her works praise her at the city gates. Now for today, we are going to look at every single one of those attributes expressed in those verses. 
We won't take 10 hours. I would like to. We won't take 10 hours. We'll get it done in time. But that means we're going to cover it briefly. We're not going to go in depth for every single one. I want you to consider something, though. In the original Hebrew, this passage on the noble or excellent wife, some of you may know this, is written as an alphabetic acrostic. And just by way of reminder, that means that every verse begins with a, the, a particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet in descending order, 22 verses, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, if you're aware of ancient habits and writing, this is most likely done to help the reader remember the qualities of an excellent woman. So in the Hebrew, it's, you know, Aleph, Bet, Gimel. Us in English, A is for Adam, B is for Bob, you know, that kind of thing. That's how it is structured here in the text. Now, before we go into every single one, just very briefly, you can look on the screen. There is three categories. There are three categories that I see here presented in these 22 verses. I show these categories just to help us think in a larger, broader view what is being said about this godly woman here in Proverbs 31. And so first is that she pursues goodness and righteousness. Second, that she works hard for her family. And finally, that she fears the Lord. And really, that's the foundation for everything else. So what are the specific qualities? We're going to take a look at each. In the descriptions, because of the acrostic nature of this passage, I'm going to focus on the specific word or the specific phrase in the Hebrew with each letter for each verse, because that's the emphasis for each verse. So if you're the type to underline or take notes, I'm going to emphasize the main phrase or the main, uh, the main word for each verse, and you can benefit perhaps, uh, perhaps from underlining or taking note of that point of emphasis. To give you an example, verse 11 starts with the Hebrew letter bet, and it translates to trust. That's what it starts with, but in your English Bible, that's not what it starts with. So that's just by way of example. So let's dig in here, beginning with verse 10. The phrase here, the, the important thing is a worthy wife, or a wife of excellent character, noble character, depending on your translation, that she has great ability. This carries an implication that she is unique, she is set apart, she's of a high standard, and she's even rare. She has worth and value ascribed to her due to her character and the quality thereof. Now, the word jewels here, in most of your translation, it's actually better translated pearls, or really pearls of coral. And if you're not familiar with jewelry, those are saltwater organic gemstones. They are exceedingly rare, even today. The connotation is that an excellent wife, you know, a wife of ability or, or a, a wife of, of noble character, is more valuable than the rarest of gems on this earth. They, they would carry a cost that even the wealthiest king could barely afford. That's the connotation here. Now, shouldn't that be true of all godly women? I think so. They're not like the other women, women who serve other gods, the women who turned Solomon's heart away. So for us here, may all of our women, all of the professing believers in this, in this congregation, may you be encouraged towards pursuing godliness that, that sets you apart, that sets you as a rare gemstone, a rare jewel. Really, may all believers, too, pursue that kind of character quality, really Christ-like character quality that is not normal, not common, but supernatural by the power of the Spirit, very special, that sets the believer apart from the unbelievers of this world by pursuing holiness, pursuing godly character. Verse 11, the main phrase here is trust. Trust or trustworthiness, that her husband trusts in her. 
This is the only verse in the whole entire Bible where trust is advocated as being placed in someone other than God. Consider that. Such a woman like this brings gain to her husband. Godly women are trustworthy. They can be relied upon. That's what trustworthy means. And they're not cause for suspicion. Godly women bring something to the table. Believers, godly women, godly men, they should be reliable. And they should seek to bless and not harm those that they love or really anyone for that matter. Verse 12. The phrase here is does good. Does good. Specifically, does good to her husband. Now, in the Hebrew here, this is a consistent doing of good. Consistently. And and what does it mean by good? Being joyous, being merry, being pleasant, being beautiful. The godly woman should have a habit of being a delight to be around. Any any believer, though, should be a delight to be around, right? It's not just a quality for a godly woman, though it surely is a quality for a godly woman. Really, every believer should be a delight to be around. What if? What if believers were consistently and daily joyous and merry, pleasant and beautiful And beautiful in the right connotation. We're not just talking about external things here. Verse 13. The word here is seeks. Seeks. It's connected to seeking work. Seeking work. So this godly woman here, this excellent wife, she's marked by dutiful care. She has investigative qualities. She inquires and she searches. She makes... She manufactures, she labors, she produces. Godly women take care in searching out ways to provide for their loved ones. They work with delight, not just willingness. There's a difference there. Anyone can be willing to do something, but when you delight to do something, it's very different. You can tell. You can notice the difference. Godly women delight to care for others. Believers should be characterized by the same thoughtful care. Thoughtful care for others, seeking to do good work. Not idly hanging out, but delighting and actually working for the benefit of others in the body. Verse 14, like a trader's ship. That actually, the, the main word there is like, <laughs> but it's the thing that's connected to. Like a trader's ship. The godly woman here is, is a provider. Provider of good things from far away. Think about the implication there. She's like a trader ship, merchant ship that brings goods from afar. She doesn't just get whatever is near because it's there. She goes to find the best quality whatever, ingredients, nourishment, products for the house because she wants the best for her family. She wants the absolute best. Godly women bring the best to their loved ones and they delight to do so. Godly believers should really have the same disposition. It's not about just doing what's easy and what's right there. You pursue the best for another person, even if it costs you something, even if there's greater effort put into that. Verse 15, rises. The key word here is that she rises in the night. This woman is a workhorse, is she not? I know a lot of you know this passage, but yeah, this, this one particular, you're like, I need my eight hours. This is hard. She wakes up before the dawn to provide food. Before the sun rises, she's awake. Then she sets her maze to task before anyone else is even awake in the household. Now, something brief here. 
just by way of context, the woman who's described in Proverbs 31, she's a wealthy woman of Palestine. Okay, the, the context is important because not every aspect here is going to be immediately relatable to us here today. But the principles are always going to be clear. Godly women here are not sluggards. They don't sleep the day away. They pursue work while others rest. And here's the big thing about being awake in the morning. It's that they make sure that their loved ones have everything they need for a full day of work. That's the connotation here. That the godly woman supplies for the loved ones around them to be productive, to do work. Now, today's American culture promotes a much different lifestyle than what Scripture promotes. Just think about social media. I think it often, if not always, encourages selfish and unbiblical living in this regard. I'll let that sting for a moment. Consider business in verse 16. She considers She considers business. She's thoughtful. She's not a fool. She's not dumb. She considers business. This woman is smart. She's industrious. She plans and then uses her own wages, the things that she has available to her, to pursue business ventures that provide for her family financially and practically. Godly women ought to be planners. That's what you see here. The connotation is that one who considers something and then sets their resources towards that plan. Believers should pursue the same kind of thoughtfulness in their endeavors. Be a planner. Consider business. Be productive. Don't just wait for things to happen. That is not godly. Although you do need to wait on the Lord. That's a different. We'll get there later. Verse 17. We don't use this word very often. Girds. You might have clothes, clothes herself with strength, but girds, girds with strength. This is connected with the industrious nature of this godly woman who buys and then prepares a field, right? There's one portion of buying it. There's another portion of working it. This woman is no stranger to hard labor, to hard work. Rosie the Riveter doesn't have anything on this godly woman. You guys know Rosie the Riveter, World War II, being promoted, you know, look what women can do and all that, which is great because women can. Rose the Riveter is nothing compared to the Proverbs 31 woman. Truly. Rosie the Riveter was a, well, that was a whole advertisement, but that's something else we can talk about later. This woman, though, here in Proverbs 31, that she girds herself with strength is that she's not frail. She's not dainty. Godly women are not frail and dainty. The southern U.S. has often depicted them in such a manner for centuries that women are frail and dainty and can't do anything. Now, sometimes women can be frail. Sometimes men can be frail. It's not a matter of gender there, but what Scripture is calling the woman specifically to here, and really all believers, is to be robust. To be robust and capable of pursuing hard work. Capable Now, sometimes that strength is going to be less visible by manual labor, maybe more visible by other kinds of labor that they pursue for their loved ones, like taking genuine care and love, providing, being thoughtful. But really what you see here is that women are not frail and dainty. Women are not weak. Women are strong. Godly women of the Lord are strong, and they're fortified to do hard things, all for the Lord and for those that they love. The same should be pursued by faithful believers, Now, verse 18, 
This godly woman perceives good and profitable things. This woman that really perceives there is the, is the big uh, idea in the Hebrew, perceives good and profitable things. This woman is aware of the worth of her work. She's aware of the worth of her work because she puts good effort into being excellent. It's not haughty pride here. This is not like, hey, I'm, I'm really awesome because I said so. This is an accurate assessment of the quality of her work. Now, the lamp not going out, it could mean a long and prosperous life. That she, that, that's a common belief in uh, the ancient Near East. It could mean that she was constantly at work. That's probably the most applicable in the context. When you think about the fact that she rose while it was still the night, that she worked the field in the day, and then she went far for food and made merchandise, it's likely more of that constantly productive, which is why her lamp didn't go out. Now, godly women today should also know when they do well because they're striving to produce valuable work, whatever it is. They should know when they do well, and they should pursue productivity rather than idleness. I'm going to hold off on the statement there, but just bear in mind, productivity rather than idleness is the call for a godly woman. Every believer should strive similarly with valuable work and constant productivity. Verse 19, her hands reach and they hold workable things. The thing here is her hands. That's what's emphasized, her hands. The woman's hands are mentioned in three different verses here in Proverbs 31. And all of them denote her willingness to be very practical with her work. She's very practical. Here in verse 19, she makes clothes. Godly women use their abilities supplied by God in practical ways. Yeah, it could be sewing. It could be cooking. It could also be working. It could be business transactions and the like. They make the most of what God has supplied to them. There's an echo here of Exodus 35 and the skillful women who helped with the drapery of the tabernacle. Godly women and men use their skills beyond their own need for the sake of others. Not just for themselves, but for the sake of others. So whether that's to help clothe the family in this example or to bless fellow church members, their skills ultimately give God the glory. We have hands again in verse 20, hands that are open and hands that stretch to the poor. Again, this woman doesn't just provide for her own family, but also for the poor and the vulnerable in her community. While godly women care for their own family, their own household, their own loved ones, they also make an effort to reach out to the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the suffering. Now, that's the character of Christ, is it not? Christ is worthy to imitate so both men and women get to pursue this. Hands open and reaching out, stretching out to the poor. Verse 21, not afraid. She's not afraid. That's the big idea here. She's not afraid and she protects her household. This woman anticipates hardship and she helps to protect her family. Godly women expect some level of difficulty to befall their loved ones. And then they proactively provide for them in anticipation. Godly women aren't shook and rocked when hard things happen because they expect the hardship and calamities of life and they prepare accordingly. They think about how to provide for their loved ones in anticipation of hardship. Now, verse 22, the first word in, in the Hebrew here is coverings. Coverings, no verb, just coverings. Coverings that she makes for herself and her household. 
This woman, again, a wealthy woman of ancient Palestine, she made the fine coverings, not just the, you know, the standard ones, but the fine ones. They were decorative, but they were also purposeful. And she made them for herself and her household. The connotation is that she received this fine linen and was able to provide these fine coverings, these bed coverings, as a result of her hard labor, a result of her profit. Today, we could say that godly women bless those around them with the blessings that they receive. They don't just focus on their own self, but also on blessing their loved ones with the spoils of the blessings that God has provided. Now, verse 23, makes her husband known. The first word there in the Hebrew is makes. Makes her husband known in the city gates. This woman has made such a great impact on her husband's reputation. Her wisdom, her value, her effort enables her husband to be prominent in the city. Godly women make good companions. Amen? Okay, there should have been more men saying amen, but we'll go with that. There we go. Some of us are awake. Godly women enable their loved ones to prosper practically by their virtuous deeds. Now, if you've ever heard the phrase, it's not who you know or not what you know, but who you know, I'm sure you guys have heard that, right? It's not what you know, but who you know. This is a positive example of that principle. This is a positive example of, yeah, it is about who you know. Because a godly woman's testimony blesses her loved ones. It blesses them. They receive the benefit of her reputation. Verse 24. The first word here is linen. You didn't see that one coming, did you? Linen. In the Hebrew, linen garments are made and supplied for profit. This woman doesn't just make clothes for her family, but she also makes them for profit. Godly women use their resources to bless their loved ones and to make profit, to pursue business venture. Whether this is the, the woman, mom, wife who makes their own homemade salsa or whatever, sells it in jars, they're industrious. That's the thing. They take what they're good at and they use it. They use it to bless their family more than just to provide in practical ways, which is awesome. Verse 25. First word here is strength. Strength and honor clothe her. Wait, I thought she was clothed by the the things that she made. Yeah, she is. She's clothed by her own creations. But here we have strength and honor that also clothe her because she has an inward strength. Now, the reason strength and honor are used here, you can do a further study in the book of Proverbs, but earlier on in Proverbs, the idea of this strength and honor relates to the strength of the young people. So the strength of those who have have vigor, right? And then the wisdom and the honor of those who are aged, of those who have gone through experience and who have wisdom. So she's young, or she has the strength like the young, and the honor like the aged. Now, some people may wonder, like, okay, why is she laughing? Why is she laughing at the time to come? Depending on your translation, it could be a very awkward reading right there. But the laughing at the time to come signifies that she is ready. She is ready for the future. She can look at the future and say, whatever challenges, whatever difficulties may come, we'll be fine. She laughs and smiles at the face of the future because she knows who her God is. And she knows how to prepare accordingly within God's sovereignty. Now, godly women today, no matter their age, are characterized with the strength of youth, the honor of wise experience. The age isn't what makes somebody wise, and the youth isn't what makes somebody strong. 
They're not fearful of the future. Godly women welcome the situations to come with gladness because they're prepared practically and they're prepared spiritually. And these are principles for all believers. Verse 26, the first phrase here is her mouth. Her mouth. Her mouth is full of wisdom and her tongue of teaching the loving kindness. Really, this wisdom just, she drips wisdom from her mouth, just like she's exhaling. It's like breathing to her. She teaches loving kindness or loyal love, that's the hesed, right, to others, probably her children, probably other younger women. Godly women are wise. They're loving. They speak truth in love, and they're not afraid to bring God's wisdom to bear on others or to teach those around them who need to be taught. That's a trait valued really in all of God's people. Verse 27, she looks well after her household. The phrase there is she looks. She looks well after her household and expects not to be idle. So really, looking at the Hebrew, it's she's keeping watch. She observes attentively the happenings of her household. She's not aloof. She's not just unaware of things. And then also, she's not a sluggard. Now here, it's literally eating the food of idleness. Some of your translations have eating the food of idleness. It's because the rich would be so bored, so bored, that they would eat because they had nothing better to do. Not because they actually needed to eat. So she's not eating the food of idleness. She expects to not be idle. Godly women pay attention to the lives of their loved ones. Now, there is you know, a funny joke that can be made about like yenta culture and Jewish moms paying too much attention to their loved ones. Some of you watch the Goldbergs, you might get that. But there's an appropriate attention paid to the lives of their loved ones. They're invested in the lives of their family and the lives of their friends. They also don't expect to be idle. They expect to work. They expect to be busy with profitable actions. Same could be said for all believers, right? All believers should pay attention to the lives of their loved ones. All believers should expect to work heartily to provide for themselves and to provide for others. Those are principles for every single believer. Verse 19, the first word here in the Hebrew is rise. Rise. Her children rise, call her blessed. Her husband acknowledges and celebrates her. This woman is honored by her children and her husband for her character and her work. You know, her children like stand up and praise her. That's the connotation here. It's not like rise like they wake up in the morning and call her blessed. They, they literally stand up and say, you are so fortunate. You are so blessed. Now why do they say that? Because of her character and because of her work. Godly women should be honored by others, particularly believers, who recognize Christ-like characteristics and actions. This verse is much more for, for the others the children, the husband, the fellow believers, than it is for the actual godly woman, right? Because the others need to recognize these kinds of qualities in the women that they know and then honor them for their character and their virtue. Verse 29, here's the way that her husband praises her. It's surpassing worth. That's the the main phrase here, surpassing worth. So you may have surpasses them all, but that's the, the big one in the Hebrew here, surpassing worth. The way her husband praises this woman is by stating that even of all the incredible women, of all the amazing women, this woman who is his wife is at the top of that mountain. She's the pinnacle for other women to aspire towards. So godly women are not just great. They're not just, oh, you know, that's sweet. No, they're the best. 
Godly women are the best. It's not about perfection. It's about character and service. So brothers and sisters, I would give you this. Don't forget to encourage all the ladies in your life when you see Christ-like characteristics present, Christ-like service present. Don't, Don't neglect to encourage them about what you see. Verse 30. Verse 30. The first word in the Hebrew here is lies. Probably didn't expect that one. Lies. Really, it's don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't fall, don't fall for lies. And it's don't be deceived with this. Popularity or favor, that's charm. And then beauty, external. Those things pale in comparison to a Yahweh-fearing woman. Now, according to 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, we read that Solomon loved many foreign women. They were not godly women. They were women who served other gods. Now, surely they were beautiful. How do we know this? Surely they had great favor. How do we know this? 700 wives were princesses. Princesses, if not beautiful, definitely had favor. Probably had both. But this woman here, the Proverbs 31 wife, she's not a shell of beauty that will fade away and bring disappointment. And that's the connotation with lies. Don't be deceived. You know, there are things that will fade. Charm fades. Beauty fades. And they will bring disappointment. Instead, the godly woman here receives praise because she fears, she worships, she obeys the Lord God Almighty. And really, this verse right here brings to conclusion the whole book of Proverbs. It includes uh, the major theme of the wisdom books, Proverbs 1.7. You can flip back there. You can trust me what I say. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And this is the working out of the fear of the Lord. This woman's life is the working out of the fear of the Lord. So what can we say today? Godly women, they're not frauds. They're not lemons on the car lot. Godly women are the real deal because of the foundation of their life. They worship the Lord God Almighty. Remember, everyone needs to remember this. The Lord looks at the heart. True? We should be free to give praise, but not improperly. Not just focusing on the things that man sees, but the things of godliness that God really cares about. Verse 31 here is the culmination of this passage. Give. Give her. That's the the first word there in the Hebrew. Give her the fruit of her hand. Let others praise her work. This woman is to receive the reward of wisdom, of living wisely. Praise for her works. Her fear of the Lord has led to a life worthy of praise. Again, this is for everyone else. This is less for the godly woman and more for everyone else who's interacting with the godly woman in their life. Affirm and encourage Christ-like character and service. When you see it, encourage it, affirm it. And here's the thing. Proverbs 31, 31 says, at the city gates. Where are the city gates? A very public place. The city gates are in front of everyone. So the encouragement here is to give praise to the godly woman in your life for their Christ-like characteristics publicly, in front of others. All right. Now with all these godly character qualities, we can be easily overwhelmed by such a woman, right? But let's remember something here. Remember, these qualities were taught to Lemuel, who I think is Solomon, by his mother Bathsheba. Do you think that she was perfect? Do you think that she was fully mature from the time she was a little girl? C. 
See, I would venture to say that verse 30 was specifically born of her own experience. Verse 30 that says, Charm is deceptive and beauty fleeting, but that fearing the Lord is all that matters. The woman who taught Solomon of an idealized woman was at one time not an ideal woman herself. But she learned from her mistakes and then passed on godly wisdom to her son. So it's true, the bar for godliness displayed in this passage, it is impossibly high. It is very high. Yet we know that the woman who promotes such a standard knows well that she herself falls short, and yet she strives nonetheless. So why should we strive to such extreme godliness? Whether men or women in here, why pursue such characteristics? What's the benefit? Wouldn't it be easier to just pursue selfish desires just to say, that is really hard. I'm just going to do things that are fun for me. Well, to answer that question, again, we need Solomon's wisdom. Things that he knew, things that he learned, things that he repented and then learned again. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon discusses all the vanities of life. And essentially he says, everything is worthless. Everything is pointless. Vanity of vanities, right? Except he clarifies halfway through the book. That's, in fact, life apart from God, which is pointless. Life apart from God is vanity of vanities and is worthless. Think about this. A woman could have all she has ever dreamed, a home full of kids or freedom from all responsibilities. She could have the ability to travel the world or to pursue a career or be successful. She could have a doting husband and dear friends or dear friends, live with dear friends, who are all devoted to friendship. But if that woman lives apart from God, her life is pointless. The only life worth living is a life devoted to God. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14 is clear. Solomon says this, When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, Fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity, men and women. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So why should a woman pursue the qualities of a P31 woman? Why should any believer pursue the qualities that we see in this character, this idealistic depiction here? Because every action, every deed, every thought will be brought to judgment. And every sin will need to be paid for. Every single sin, every evil, every unrighteous thing done by a person will be paid for one way or another. And we will either suffer the consequences of our sins and misdeeds or another will take our place. And herein lies the beauty and the comfort of the gospel. You don't need to make yourself holy to be accepted by God. You don't need to be that perfect Proverbs 31 wife or woman to be welcomed into God's family. In fact, he accepted you while you were yet a sinner. While you were yet a sinner, he had a plan to redeem your whole person, body, and soul. Now, once you're redeemed by grace, you have a privilege, a privilege, but more importantly, an ability, an ability to pursue holiness. See, apart from God, no one can pursue holy living. No one can pursue holy living apart from God. But by the power of God's Spirit, who is given to those who repent and believe in the grace of God through Christ, a person has the powerful ability of the Almighty coursing through their body, enabling them to pursue righteousness, to put sin to death, to fight off temptation, 
to replace old desires with new desires, and to pursue loving and worshiping God. No woman will ever be perfect. True? No person will ever measure up to the standard of perfection because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God that we who were once far off, deserving of full punishment, have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, by his perfection, by his righteousness. So now we're not just accepted into his family, but we have the powerful ability by his spirit to pursue godly characteristics like we see in Proverbs 31, for his glory and for our good. Uh, For everyone here today, my aim, my desire, is that we would all see the characteristics of that Proverbs 31 woman properly. That this godly woman is not selfish, but selfless. That she serves her family and others because she serves the Lord. So I would ask that your motivation be the grace of God through Christ. That your striving would be in the power of the Spirit. The foundation for the Proverbs 31 woman, really for all believers, is proper fear of the Lord. There is no profit in a person pursuing these characteristics apart from holy reverence and worship of God. There's no point in sacrifice for the family, to raising children, to working hard, to providing for others, to being honorable or trustworthy, apart from holy awe of the identity of God. Earlier this year, I began studying Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, included a lot of the Psalms too. One of the overarching ideas that I I couldn't ignore was how much real wisdom, or fearing the Lord, speaks to obedient living. Obedient living. I think this idea of fearing the Lord is often misunderstood. When that phrase, fear of the Lord, comes to your mind, at least I can speak for myself, sometimes I picture a throne room with God Almighty sitting on his throne. I don't know what he looks like, but just a light coming off the throne. And then myself and others around me were just bowed, prostrate before him. That's what I think of when I think of the fear of the Lord. Now, it's not a bad idea, but it's not a complete idea. See, fearing the Lord, it it does include that kind of holy reverence and awe of the one who spoke creation into being by the power of his word. Of course, Moses could scarcely be in his presence as an unglorified human. There is a respect that we give to God that is due and no one else, nothing else should be revered like we revere the Lord God. But there's more to this idea of fearing the Lord than just bowing in this throne room. See, we're not only to bow in awe, but we're also to respect and obey. We do his will. It would be disrespectful, really duplicitous, if we bowed before him in awe one moment and then ran away to do our will the next. See, one cannot bow in principle to the Lord God without bowing practically by doing his declared will. So parents and teachers, you know this well. If you provide leadership to a child or to a student in some way, they'll tell you they understand. They'll commit even to following your direction, but then they'll do something completely opposite, right? And you probably question their allegiance. Like, did you hear me? Did you understand what I said, right? In a similar way, it's hypocritical for believers to say that they worship God or to say that they fear God and then to act or to live differently. So the fear of the Lord, it is indeed a a holy awe a holy reverence, but it's also more. There's also thankfulness for salvation, gratitude for clear instructions from his word, and a willingness to strive for obedience. Fearing the Lord involves getting up from that prostrate position 
before the throne and responding, yes, Lord, I'll honor you with my actions. It's bowing and then obeying. The fear of the Lord leaves the throne room and then goes to accomplish what has been asked of you. Now, it's with this kind of understanding of the fear of the Lord that this Proverbs 31 woman or the P31 Christian pursues goodness and righteousness and works hard in serving their practical and their spiritual family. They wisely act because they fear the Lord with proper reverence, with respect, with thankfulness, and with obedience. They worship God as they ought to, not perfectly, but humbly and obediently. When they make a mistake, they repent And they don't hide their sin, but they confess it to the Lord God. They ask for forgiveness, and then they seek to replace the improper behavior with the righteous behavior that gives God glory. That is how the Proverbs 31 woman pursues such such excellence, by fearing the Lord properly. So to my sisters here this morning, my sisters in the faith, may you be encouraged by the thoughtful and challenging example set forth in Proverbs 31. To be excellent in every way would be an enormous undertaking, but by God's spirit and the direction of his word, I can tell you myself, and I'm sure many in here would say as well, that we are profoundly encouraged by the women here at Oak Hill who exemplify these characteristics so well. I consider it a blessing. I was, as I was preparing this, this, this past week or a couple of weeks, I was able to think of women by name. By name, I was able to think of women that exemplify these characteristics. What a blessing that we can say here at Oak Hill, there are so many godly characteristics. Yes, there's room to grow, as always. But publicly, praise the Lord for the godly women that are present here at this church. Now, we all ought to be working out our sanctification by the power of the Spirit to undertake it with joy because we once had no hope. We once were without God, had no ability to obey, no ability to pursue the characteristics of Proverbs 31 But now, through Christ, by the power of his spirit, we can. We can serve the Almighty for his glory, for our good, and for the good of others. So my encouragement that leaves you today is that the Proverbs 31 woman would be an example to everyone. Not just the women who are in here, but everyone. May she be an example for all of us. May we pursue godly and Christ-like characteristics in every sphere of life. Because even though it is a high and lofty call, it is possible, if not probable, to strive to be like the Proverbs 31 woman. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. May we continue to strive for clarity and understanding of your word as we study, as we discuss, as we dwell And as we pray to conform our lives to the righteousness that is displayed in Christ. It truly is his character that we see displayed in Proverbs 31. Now for any way which we may have misunderstood Proverbs 31 in the past. Any way that we may have been overly discouraged or overly critical. May we humbly repent of our former ignorance. May your spirit by your word encourage our hearts about the wonderful attributes that your female children are powerfully able to strive towards. May your word yield fruit by your spirit regarding these general principles, not just for the godly woman here, but for all believers who have heard this message. May our hearts be encouraged by the kindness 
and by the faithfulness of Jesus. He has stood in our place for our shortcomings. And now he joyfully encourages us to live according to the worthy call that he has given us by the power of his spirit whom he has also given us. Father, continue to shape our understanding of biblical manhood and womanhood by your word as we continue this study over the next number of weeks. For your glory and for our good, we pray. Amen.